turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. And we're going to kind of continue a little bit from the missions banquet, what we're talking about, about missions and prayer and reaching people for Christ. And as we look tonight, I want you to consider the message entitled, Praying for the Nations and All People. Praying for the Nations and All People. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings, and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, men, that the man, Christ Jesus. Father, we pray tonight you would speak clearly to our hearts, that we would receive your word gladly as those did in Thessalonica, that we would receive it, not only to hear it, but to live it. And from what we do and what we say and what we think, every day of our life, every moment of time, that we would seek to bring glory to your name and reach the lost for Christ. And we give you praise in Christ's name. Amen. I'll give you just a couple of words out of this before we get right into the text. The first word I want you to see in the passage is the word urge. The word urge. It means literally to call, to exhort, to encourage is what Paul is saying. And he's saying to these to Timothy, the young preacher, this is something you need to do. But we back up to a word just before that, the word first. Look what he says. First of all, first. The word literally translates from the original language, chief. This is the big deal. This is a big thing. What's he talking about? He's talking about prayer in the church. We can preach and we can sing. But folks, if we don't pray, we're going to accomplish little. Matter of fact, we're not going to accomplish much at all. Much prayer, much power. Little prayer, little power. We need to pray. And that's what we're talking about tonight. Paul is saying prayer is the chief component of the church is labor to bring forth good fruit. If we're going to see fruit for the labor, we have to pray for those that we're laboring after. And that's what we need to do. The word supplication is also used here. It says, I urge this, that supplications and prayers. The word translates in some translations, the word entreaty, supplication or entreaty, meaning to be deprived of or to be without something. What does he mean by this in this passage? I believe he means we need to pray for those who are lost because they were without something. They're without Christ. They have a problem that awaits them without Christ, and that is an eternity separated from him. The lost in our world today, we can categorize and number in the billions, not hundreds, not thousands, not millions, but billions of people in our world are lost without Christ. What is our mission? What is our purpose in the church? I believe one of the main things is to make disciples. Discipleship and evangelism, from my theology, is two distinctively different things. But you can't disciple, you can disciple this chair because the brother's sitting in it. But you can't disciple that chair because nobody's sitting in it. 
So how are we going to do that? We're going to reach people for Christ through evangelistic effort, praying for them, praying for the nations, praying for every aspect of life that we might see people that we can then do what? Disciple. So to use an example, Mary won't mind. I met her at the revival and visited with her and talked to her. She needs a discipler. She needs a lady to come along beside her and embrace her and love her and walk with her that she might grow in the grace of the Lord. Amen? That's what she needs. That's what we do as a church. That's what Pastor David talked about so much two weeks ago in the message last week about reaching people for Christ. It's so important. We need to, ha- we, we need to pray for the salvation of the lost because, you see, prayer for the lost permeates their lives, permeates their spirit, and when someone's saved, guess what happens? God's glorified. God's glorified. And that's really all that matters. I, you know, we don't want any credit for that because all we do is introduce them to someone. You know, you can't be responsible for my marriage that's lasted 51 years by the grace of the Lord because of me. It's because or the one who introduced me to my girlfriend, Judy, at that time. It's all based on the amazing grace of God that we've traveled this distance together. Anything that's happening is because of him, not because of us. He uses another word here to intercede, intercede. The word literally means or make petition to fall. Now, what's this? This is a great word, to fall in with someone. You get that? To fall in with someone. What does that mean? It means to you get involved with them. See, if you're going to pray for someone, now, Brother Jerry's sitting here, and then Jerry comes to me and said, Ed, would you pray for me for a particular thing, whatever that might be? And I say, yes, I will do that. But if I just pray for him and don't get involved with him, don't call him back in a week or two or three days and say, Jerry, how's it going? Then I'm not involved with him. It's like, I will, I will assure you of something. If you go out of this room tonight and you come by me and you ask me to pray for something, we're not go- I'm not going to do that later. I'm going to do that right then. Because I'm 72 years old. I may forget to pray for you tomorrow, but I won't forget to pray for you right now. Okay? So I'm involving myself. Then if I see you again, I'm going to say to you, how are you doing? How are things going? Is the Lord working in this? That's involvement in someone's life. See, sometimes you got to get involved in a life before you can introduce that life to the person of Christ. Get to know them, love on them, encourage them. When we pray for the lost, the nations, and one another, we become involved. Now, what's this statement? True prayer, true prayer involves action in most cases. You can't just pray for someone and not do anything, amen? Someone is hungry, someone needs uh, a little money or whatever, and you say, well, you know, what's the scripture say? Jesus spoke about this, be warm, be blessed, you know, I need a coat, be warm, be blessed. No, here's my coat. Ever given a coat away? This is not in my notes, but I'm going to tell you. Walked in the post office one day in Grand Prairie, Texas, my first church. Back then, we pastors, I was going to school and pastoring full-time, and I wore a sport coat every day, most of the time a tie. That's just the way it was then. And so I walked into the post office, and there was a guy in there putting some stamps on some stuff and, and humming a gospel song. I don't remember what it was. And I heard that, and I said, hey, brother, are you a believer? And he said, I sure am. Are you? And I said, I sure am. And we visited. He handed me a card, and his card, he, said, he was an evangelist. 
independent Baptist Advantage, but the Lord blesses them too. And so he gave me a card, and his name, I do not remember except his nickname. And he gave me that card, and we looked at it, and it was Happy Jack. That was his nickname, Happy Jack. Bill Happy Jack Smith. I don't know what that name was or not, but I know his nickname was Happy Jack. And he looked at me and he said, can I tell you something? I said, well, sure you can. He said, that is a fine-looking sport coat. Plaid, green plaid, little gold stripe in it, kind of like, looked like a used car salesman, you know. <laughs> and I said, well, thank you. My wife, it's my wife's favorite. I think I had two, maybe three at that time. Walked out to my little 67 Volkswagen, stuck my key in the door, and the Lord spoke to my heart by his spirit, not audibly, louder than that, and said, give the man your coat. And I, have you ever negotiated with God? I said, but Lord, this is my wife's favorite. And I only have three. Give the man your coat. So I walked back inside, had the jacket laying over my arm, and he said, I thought you were gone. I said, well, I did too, Happy Jack. But I said, have you ever had the Lord just ask you to do something, put something in your heart that you just don't understand, you've never done anything like this before? And he said, yeah, a time or two, why? And I said, i got to ask you another question. What size sport coat do you wear? I was hoping he was going to say a 36 short. <laughs> but he didn't. He said a 42 long. Now, I don't wear 42 long today. I wear 46 long. But I wore 42 long, and I took it. I said, the Lord has impressed me to give you this. And he went stone silent. And he looked at me and said, are you kidding? I said, no. No, I'm not. And he said, I've never had anything like this ever happen to me in my life. I said, that's two of us. <laughs> I haven't either. But I gave that jacket to that man, and that's where the Lord took me on a journey and began to teach me about what real giving was and what getting involved in someone's life was. I think about Happy Jack every now and then, and I wonder when I get to heaven, is he going to be wearing that sport coat, Smokey? <laughs> he may be. But see, that's involvement, and that's not any accolade to me. I only did what I was asked to do. That's what servants do. They just do what they're asked to do. Think about this. We come before him with thanksgiving and praise, with gratitude. Why? Folks, the gospel is real. The gospel is real. It changes people's life. If you're here tonight, have you embraced the gospel? Your life has been changed. And it's been changed for the glory of God. By the way, just so you'll know, you are a miracle. There's no greatest miracle in the world than the atoning work of Christ and how it comes to inhabit man. No greater thing can happen. No, no TV preacher can top that when God does what he does through his son, Jesus Christ. Not at all. So, we talk about this prayer and the interceding and the petition. Who do we pray for? Look at verse 1. He says, first of all, then I urge the supplications and prayers and intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. So, who do we pray for? All people, says Paul. Kings, monarchs, rulers, presidents, governors. That's who we pray for. All in high positions is what Paul is saying. We pray for them. What should we pray for them? I'll tell you in a minute. 
But we need to pray for them in a particular manner. These are all in authority. Here Paul encourages, really in context of this, Paul is encouraging prayer for Nero, who is a vile, corrupt emperor. He has his wife killed. He has his brother-in-law killed. He had hundreds of others killed just to glorify himself. And then he hired mourners to cry when he died because he knew nobody was going to. So, we pray for that kind of people. And God, back in the day of World War II, I recently read, about a year ago, I read Life Story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It's a great read. It'd be something worthy of your time, but of how Hitler's cross, the cross became the swastika. And what would have happened in the churches in that time and all if they had been praying the way they should have been and stood firm on the ground they should have stood on? And we need to be doing the same thing. Could God have saved Hitler if it had right prayer and everything? I don't know. I know he could have. Where it would have happened or not, I do not know. But the only way it can happen is we storm the throne of grace with prayers, praying for the lost leaders of this world and the, and the unchristian nations that are out there. That's the only way they're going to come to Christ. We must do that. That is part of our assignment. We can judge the politician. We can judge the dictator. Or we can judge the judge that sits on the bench. Or we can pray. We can criticize them. Or we can pray. I think praying would be better. And I'm going to be real honest before you not. I've been guilty of the first things I said. Guilty. Guilty. Wanting them out. <laughs> Sometimes God puts people in certain places for a particular reason. Have you figured that out yet? It's taken me a long time. You get there quicker than I did, okay? Hopefully you will if you're young. You'll get there and understand that some things are happening because of him and what he wants us, how he wants us to respond to it. This attitude of this giving prayer and everything, it also, I think it does something for the individual. I think it will bring peace to your life. It brings peace to your life, praying for them. Listen, you know what gives me peace in the midst of a troubled world? I know who's in charge. It's sovereign God. God is sovereign. Nothing happens without his permission, and he allows it to be that way. This attitude gives honor and glory to our Lord. And says Paul in verse 3, look what he says in verse 3. This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. God is glorified when you pray for the lost. God is even more glorified when the lost gets saved because you prayed for the lost. I ask you a question tonight. I want you to consider this question. Do you know someone in your life, in your family, as a friend that's lost without Christ? Are you praying for them? Are you praying? Here's, here's the thing. How we're praying is critical. We're praying this person might come to know Christ, not that he would miss hell and make heaven, but that God would be glorified. That's the whole intent. That's the whole purpose. So we're praying for them. I hope you have someone on your radar that you're praying for and loving in that manner. For he desires all to be saved, says 2 Peter. And not only that, he takes no joy in the judgment of the wicked, Ezekiel 33, 31. Takes no joy in that. <clears throat> There's only one Savior. 
Well, one of you thinks so. There's only one Savior. There's not many saviors. There's only one Savior, only one way to salvation, only one, and that's through the man Christ Jesus. It's through his atoning work that he did on the cross. You don't get saved by being a Baptist or a Methodist or Episcopal. You don't get saved by being baptized or walking an aisle. You get saved because you come under the blood of Christ and repent of your sin. That's what. Why I pray? That's who we pray for. Now, why? Well, let's turn over real quick to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 11. Revelation 20, verse 11. John says, And I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it from his presence Earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead, and who were in it? Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That's the gospel. That's the truth. We live in a world where we cannot soft soak the concept of being separated from God for eternity. Man dies and either goes to one of two places, not three or four. He goes to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. Or he enters eternity of hell separated from the love of God for eternity. You say, Brother Ed, that's kind of harsh. No, it's just kind of biblical. It's just biblical. And we need to come back to understanding that. That lost people, everybody, listen, everyone is not going to heaven. Only those who have been saved and born again, washed in the blood, that's who's going to heaven. Apart from Christ, listen to me carefully, apart from Christ, there is eternal life. Separated from a holy God. That's why we must pray for the lost. Pray for the guy who works in the cubicle next to you at work. Pray for the nurse that walks the same hall. Pray for the teacher that's across this world from you. Pray for the guy who runs operations in your plant. Pray for these people. Pray for them. Pray that God would settle down upon them and someone would cross their path and share the gospel with them. If you can't get there, someone would do that to the glory of God. Listen carefully. We must come to grips with the reality of an eternal hell, church. We must. Luke 12, verse 4 and 5. Luke 12, verse 4. And 5. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after that, have nothing more than they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten by God? 
Why, even the hairs on your head are numbered. Fear not. You are more valuable than those. Have no fear if you're in Christ. Have no fear of death. You're in Christ. Death is not the end. It's the beginning of eternity. Though eternity started when you got saved, you begin to experience it once your life ends. So, why pray? We're commanded to. Matthew 9, 37 through 38, we're commanded to pray. Matthew 26, 41. That's Matthew 13, Mark 13 uh, through 37. Let's look at Matthew, just a, one of the verses there that I have picked out for us tonight. Matthew 9 and verse 37. Then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plenty, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into the field. Not only to send out labors, but pray for those you're going after. Pray for the harvest. Pray for the souls that are lost as you go and share with them. Listen, everywhere you go the remainder of this week, everywhere you go, you're going to be given an opportunity to plant a seed. Something's happened in your life that's changed you for eternity. Share that with someone. Primary reason to pray? Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed. On the cross, he prayed. Before eating of food, he prayed. In Gethsemane, he and others, he prayed. Third thing, how should we pray? How, why should we? Who should we pray for? Now, how should we? For unchristian nations. Look at Romans chapter 10 and verse 1, if you'd like. Romans chapter 10 and verse 1. Scripture says in Romans 10, verse 1, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. We're not here to accuse or to judge or, or to go against someone. We're here to see people come to know Christ. You know what? Before you came to know Christ, you were lost, you had no hope. And now you have hope, amen? You have hope because you're in Christ. Don't you want people around you and in the world and in the nations to have that same hope? I think about Peter, one of our guys who's going to plant a church and how what happened to him, he's in the bush and, and he's in during the, the genocide thing and they come after him, he and his grandfather are there and all of a sudden the other soldiers show up and they save them and not only is he saved, his life saved, his soul saved because he cried out to God and here he is today in Houston, Texas going to plant a church. Who do you, what do you know about anybody? You don't know much about them but you don't know what God's going to do with them when they get saved. See, he's got a lot he wants to do with you and me. Amen. He wants to use you beyond your imagination. He wants you to grow to the point in your Christian life to where you're used to the maximum by him. He wants to use you up for his glory. We pray for Christian nations, for all the lost. Pray for the atoning work of Christ. Pray this prayer. Pray that, God, that the world would see the reality of the atonement of Christ on the cross of Calvary. Pray for the scales to be removed from their eyes. Pray that the eyes of their hearts might be opened. Pray the cross would become vivid to the nations as we live the Christ life. Not just praying for America, but praying for Turkey and Saudi Arabia all Islam countries, praying for them, praying for communist China, praying for them. Much, much is happening in China. 
much more can happen. I want to see what's happening in China happen in America. People coming to salvation day by day, every day, seeing lives change. There's a spirit of revival in the underground church. May we see it before Christ comes again. Pray for our missionaries, the ones that champion sponsors, the one from, from Southern Baptist Convention through IMB, those who labor around the world in independent status, like my son who's with Antioch Missions. Pray for them that they would have courage and boldness to share the gospel and have much fruit for the labor. One thing I think we need to pray for ourselves, God, give me boldness. Give me boldness. I may have told you this before, but I forgot if I did, so maybe you forgot too. I'm a world-class introvert. You say, no way. Yes, I am. I'm a world-class introvert. Left to myself without my loving wife who is a total extrovert, and the Lord Jesus Christ, I would not be standing here tonight. I am an introvert in my old nature. But in my new nature, God has made me who I am. Can I tell you this? You might want to remember this. He's in the change business. He's in the change business. Big time change business. And he has changed me. Last thing. When should we pray? This is a verse you need to memorize. Say, I can't memorize verse. You can memorize this one. It's three words. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Does that mean that you're always in a posture of prayer? Does that always mean that you stop and you're just praying? No. It means that your mindset is an attitude of prayer. You have an attitude of prayer. Did you know Listen carefully. There are some things in life that you don't have to pray for. Amen? For example, and I'm going to get myself in trouble here. On my way home tonight, I could stop at the local liquor store, but I won't, Michael. You know why I won't? Because I don't have to. Second reason, I don't want to. I'm going to stop at Whataburger with Trevor. <laughs> but see, see, what's the point? The point is, that is not what I am given to do. That is not what my witness needs to be to the world in which I live. That's my conviction. I'm not putting my conviction on you. That's my conviction of that. So, we pray for our missionaries, and when we pray, we pray without ceasing. The word ceasing means incessantly, incessantly. Literally means to pray continually. It literally is nothing more than an attitude of prayer. Some things you don't have to pray for. You don't have to pray about giving. You just pray about how much. Amen. You don't have to pray about that. I don't have to pray about loving my wife. I just have to repent when I don't love her like the Christ loves the church. Has that ever happened to any of you gentlemen? Maybe. See, the whole concept is we need to be in right standing with the Lord so we can make intercession for the lost. That's what we're about. 
to pray incessantly. It's an attitude of prayer. It's a mind set on the things above. Paul said in Colossians 3.1, set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. Set your mind on that. Look to him. Prayer is not a suggestion. It's a command. And for our benefit, any and needs to be with intensity. Remember how Jesus prayed in the garden? He sweat drops of blood. There was labor there. There was intensity there to pray in that manner. And I'm going to give you a quote. Prayer brings glory to God as it demonstrates our confidence in him and our dependence on him. Say that to you again. Prayer brings glory to God as it demonstrates our confidence in him and our dependence on him. See, when we become totally dependent on him, life becomes a lot simpler. Becomes a lot simpler. Well, in conclusion, I'm going to give you a little prayer formula, okay? It's called the acts of prayer. You may have heard it before. The first word is you start off in prayer. I had a guy doing a Bible conference with me one time in my church, and his, his, his uh, responsibility was to do on prayer. And he got up and he says, the average Christian's prayer life is like this. My name is Jimmy. I'll take all you give me. <laughs> See, a lot of times, correct me if I'm wrong, our prayer that we pray is about us. Correct or incorrect? Lots of times. Let me tell you where I think we should start, okay? And this is biblical. With supplication, adoration. Excuse me, adoration. You start with adoration. You praise him. Psalm 34, 1 says, bless the, bless the Lord at all times. Let his praise continually be in my mouth. What would happen if we just begin to praise a lot more than we criticized? We're praising him, thanking him, giving glory to him. Read Psalm 150 one time, sometime. It just, it's, it's praise right after the other. Praise, 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 praise. And that's what we need to be. And we start with, Lord, I praise you today. I give you glory today. I thank you for life today. I thank you that you gave me a good night's rest, and I'm up this morning, ready to go. I give you praise today. Second thing, confession. Confession. We confess. Listen to me carefully. You confess your sin to maintain fellowship with the Father. Your sin's forgiven. 